Hebrews chapter 1. We are continuing through our study this summer in the book of James. James 1, we're going to be in James 1, 19 through 21 today. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Usually the sermon formula is you give a little bit of a sermon intro, and then you read the passage, and then you go into the passage. So I'm going to mix up the formula a little bit this morning. I'm going to read the passage right up front, because I want actually the passage to kind of inform the introduction. So James 1, verses uh, 19 through 21 is where we're going to be. Scripture will be on the screen. You can follow along there or in the Bible that you have with you uh, there. And I would ask that you would stand with us just in honor of reading God's word. This is him speaking to us, which is good news. This is the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the angry man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning asking for your help. This passage is challenging. There's some weighty words in this passage, and, and yet there's great hope in the passage as well. And so I pray that you would help us this morning. We recognize that we're dependent on you. We need your Holy Spirit to be working in us this morning. And so, God, I pray that your word would indeed do a good work in our hearts this morning. And I pray this in your name. Amen. You have a seat. Now, I know that most of the Bible is pretty countercultural. Most of the Bible goes against the culture in general. But I think this passage this morning that we are looking at in James chapter 1 has to be in like, I don't know, the top 10, top 5 most countercultural passages, especially in our passage today. Because our culture today is a people who don't conform or do not follow this, right? We are not a culture that's quick to hear or slow to speak, or slow to anger. If you watch any of the national news outlets, if you watch any daytime talk show TV program, if you follow any sort of social media platforms, and you look at the things that are going on, on our, in our country, on college campuses, in our culture today, what do you see? You see people who are the exact opposite of James 1, verses 19 through 21. We see people who are slow to hear, who are extremely quick to speak, and even quicker to get angry. I mean, this seems to be our society as a whole. We are a society that loves to talk and loves to give their opinion. We are a society that's angry. So many people yelling at each other. You see it over and over again in our country and our culture on social media. People spouting out their opinions and not giving the other party a chance to respond. If you watch enough videos, you'll see that this is true of everyone, right? This isn't just true of the angry liberals. It's true of the angry conservatives as well. Everyone is quick to speak and eager to give their opinion. And it seems like that nobody is slow to listen. Actually, it seems like nobody even wants to listen or even cares to listen to what somebody else has to say. 
Listening is a lost art in our society. Because no one cares what you have to say. They only care about what they have to say. And a lot of them speak with so much anger in their voice. It's senseless sometimes when they just yell in anger. Don't even use words. They're just screaming. There's a lot of rage. We live in a very angry society. I mean, just think about it. Just think of the terms that we use in our, in our everyday language. We have things called road rage and temper tantrums and hate mail and anger management classes. We fly off the handle or blow a fuse. We flip out and get hot under the collar. We blow a gasket. We have a bone to pick with someone and we jump down someone's throat. We go ballistic. We see red and it makes one's blood boil. We have a lot of idioms for anger. There's a lot more that I could have used, uh, but there's a lot of idioms out there for anger nowadays because I think it's because there's just a lot of angry people out there and expressing anger. And it's not just our culture either. It's the church as well. I mean, remember James's audience who he's writing to. James is writing to the church. He's not writing to the culture. James is writing to believers. That James is telling us this morning is that we all struggle with anger. We are all in the same boat. I struggle with anger. Just ask my boys. My boys can tell you stories. Their dad can struggle with anger. And I'll be honest with you, when, when Ryan gave me this passage and he said, hey, this is the passage that I want you to preach on, my first initial thought was, hmm, can someone else preach this passage, please? Can, can I pass this one off to someone else? Surely you've got another passage that I can take. And the reason is that I don't have the corner market on this topic. I don't have it all together when it comes to anger issues. And you know what? I like to preach on things that I have all together. And so I'm coming to you this morning just saying, I struggle with anger. I've lost my temper with my boys. And I'm guessing you struggle with anger too. That's why James is writing this letter to the church. So the question becomes, what do we do about our anger? Well, as we dive into this passage this morning, uh, what I want us to do is I want us to see hope and help for us in anger and then these other areas that James is bringing up as well. James starts out by saying in this passage in verse 19, the first thing he says is he says, know this. James is wanting to get our attention at this moment. He's saying, I want you to learn something here. I want you to understand what I'm about ready to say. So I need you to pay attention. Because I have something to say that you really need to hear. Then he address, addresses the church uh, and writing to them, he calls them beloved brothers. He says that three times in this book, three times in the book of James, he refers to these churches as beloved brothers. And another 15 times, he refers to them as brothers. So we can see here of James' heart, that James deeply cares for these churches, that he sees them as family. He sees them as a family that he has great affection for. 
So even though these are some very direct words that he's saying in this passage this morning, you can see that they are spoken out of great love and great concern for the church. That when you care deeply for someone, sometimes in a loving way, we need to say hard things. And James tells us things that we are to be about. Notice the three things that he says right up front. That we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's consider each of these things one by one. First, to be quick to hear. James is saying as believers, this should be our initial reaction with one another. That we should be ready to hear what others have to say to us. And not just hear, but to actually listen to what is being said to you. That we are to be active and engage listeners, not passive listeners. This is not someone talking to you while you're scrolling on your phone and they're saying things to you and you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a passive listener. I've done that. I'm sure you have too. But that's not really being an engaged listener like what James is saying here. Instead, we're to be these active listeners. That says that we put down the phone, we turn off the TV, we look them in the eye, and we really listen to them and what they have to say. Listening in a way that comprehends What's being said? It's a listening that leads to understanding. It's a listening that shows care and concern and respect for one another. It's a listening that leads to accepting what others actually have to say to you. That sometimes people come and have things to say to us that we need to hear because we need to make a change and it's important that we listen and that we have ears to hear that correction. It's a hearing that is meant to lead us to change, to grow. This is what it means to be quick to hear. And then what's closely connected to that idea of being quick to hear is that we are to be slow to speak. That we stop and that we think before we speak. Sentences usually come out better. Words, phrases usually come out better when we've taken the time to stop and think about what we're going to say. Learning to be methodical and well thought out with our words and what we say usually ends up always going better. Don't rush to be the first one to get a word in and to give your opinion. Don't cut people off in mid-sentence. Don't rush to send out that over-emotional text. Don't be quick to send out that email that hasn't been well thought out. Slow down, James is saying. Be patient. Be calm. Wait. But this is hard. I mean, I think it's hard. I mean, I'm always ready to spot out my opinion. And guess what? I always have all sorts of good opinions. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? It's my job to go around and say things and talk to people. And I think I always have the right answer that people need to hear. I think I always have the best advice that people need. But what I'm continually learning is that the best thing that I can do is close my mouth and be a good listener. Most of the time, the best help that we can offer others is with a caring, listening ear. 
So about 20, I think it was about 20, I don't know, 22 years ago, it's before we had kids, Mandy and I are living in Olathe. Mandy is a fifth grade uh, school teacher, and she comes home from school one day, and I remember the room that we are in at our house in Olathe, and she's visibly upset. She's, she's crying, and, which she doesn't do very often, and so I know something happened at school that day, and I said, what's going on? And she talked about how she had a co-worker, a, a fellow teacher um, that was really cruel to her. It was not kind, and what she had to say to her really put her down, um, and, and it just really hurt her. And as I'm listening to this story, my wheels are churning in my head. Like, I'm upset that this teacher has upset my wife, and I've, I've already am formulating a three-point action plan of what she needs to do and how we're going to fix this problem. Like, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, it's go time. I'm ready. And, and, and as she's talking, I'm like, okay, Mandy, here's what I think we need to do. We need to do this first, and then, and she stops me. And Mandy just said, Jim, the best thing you can do for me right now is just listen. If you want to know how to really help me, just, just listen to me. Oh, well, that doesn't seem very helpful. But yet, that's what she needed in that moment. And that, I mean, so that story, that's like over 20 years ago. And I still remember the room that we were in when we had that conversation because it made an impact on me that says, you know what, the most helpful thing that I can do is listen. And I'll tell you this, over the past 22 years, it's a lesson I have to continue to relearn because that's not my natural first instinct is to be a good listener. And yet I'm learning that that is the way that I can be the best help is to be quick to listen and to be slow to speak. Then finally, James says, be slow to anger. Now, here's the thing about being slow to anger. You need to admit that you get angry. And that's a lot easier said than done. Because the reality is this, is that most angry people are blind to their own anger. They don't see the anger in themselves. And they don't see themselves as angry people. And the reason that they don't see themselves as angry people is because what they see is that everybody else around them is wrong and that they are right. This is something that I learned from a professor and counselor, Dr. Ed Welch. I've been taking um, a lot of counseling classes over the last three years. And my favorite professor is Dr. Ed Welch. I've taken three classes with him um, already. And I always look forward to taking his classes because I, I highly respect him. I would encourage you, Ed Welch has written several books on lots of different topics. And I would recommend any of them to you. Ed Welch is, is a godly, wise man, and I would encourage any of you to read from him. Now, if I were to describe Dr. Welch to you, I would, I would describe him to you as a very kind-hearted and gentle man. He's very caring and full of compassion. Now, whenever he speaks, whenever he talks, I've heard him talk in a lot of lectures, it's always with genuine tenderness in his voice as he speaks. I mean, I would describe him as a humble, meek, kind, gentle man. Very caring. This is why I was shocked when I'm, when I'm loading up the, the next lecture that I'm listening to, and it's on the topic of anger. And he gets up at the podium, and he starts out his 
message on anger with these words, and I quote, Anger makes you stupid, and it causes you to lose your mind. And I heard that, and I was like, what in the world? I was like, what is going on? Like, this isn't tender or gentle at all. It's like, who took Dr. Welch and put this other guy up there? I was shocked to hear him when I heard him talk this way about anger. He goes on to say, Dr. Welch goes on to say this, anger blinds us from ourselves and from God. These are some bold and weighty statements that Dr. Welch is making about anger. And yet, as I think about it, according to James, Dr. Welch is right. Because look at what verse 20 says. What does verse 20 say here? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a bold claim that James is making about anger. The man who is full of anger, the man who struggles with anger, is not able to produce the righteousness of God in his life. One commentator said this about this verse. He said this. He said that anger is usually heavily impregnated with sin, self-importance, self-assertion, intolerance, and stubbornness. That's some pretty weighty stuff, too. The angry man does not accomplish, does not obtain the righteousness of God. Notice those two little words in there, does not. Those are two powerful little words, aren't they? Angry man can't do this. This is an absolute statement that James is making here. That he's saying there's no wiggle room. It is not possible for our anger and God's righteousness to coexist in our lives. This is a grave situation for the angry man. The righteousness of God cannot be in him. And we need to take this warning from James and scripture very seriously. I need to take this warning from James very seriously. The angry man cannot please God. And we have to always be on guard against anger because it's always prowling and lurking in our hearts. This is where we need to be slow to speak and quick to hear what James is saying to us in this passage about anger. So what do we do about this serious situation of our anger? How do we fight against our anger? How do we overcome against our anger? Well, James gives us two instructions in verse 21. The first instruction, the first thing that we are told to do is we are to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. When James says, therefore, put away, he's making a connection. He's saying, hey, if you want to deal with anger, the first thing you need to do is put these things away because these things, filthiness and rampant wickedness, will lead to your anger. So James says, we're to put away something, which means that we are to remove it, take it off, get rid of it. James is telling us that we need to take some radical and definitive steps here. And he tells us what it is that we're to put away. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. James is given a couple of different visual pictures here. One of those pictures is the idea of clearing the soil of your heart 
of all of the weeds and the junk and the garbage that is growing up in it. This is getting after the garden of your heart to get rid of all the junk that is there. This idea of filthiness is a broad word that just basically means badness. It gives this idea of dirty. All the wrongdoing in both our conduct and in our character. Rampant wickedness or abundant wickedness refers to evil that takes all different forms that we need to be on the lookout for. And because it's rampant, it means that that evil comes at us relentlessly. It comes from all sides, and it keeps on coming in all shapes and sizes. This is what we need to be on guard against. Because if we're not on guard on this, and if we are not trying to get rid of it and put it off, it will lead to anger, which results in not pleasing the Lord and our lack of righteousness. So be on alert to the sin that is around you. Root it out like a weed. Disclose it like a grimy, stain-ridden shirt. Remove it. Take it off. Get rid of it. Throw it away and burn it up. It's not as easy as it sounds, rooting up sin in our lives like weeds. I'll tell you, yesterday, I think I spent like two or three hours, and it felt like two or three days weeding in in our flower gardens out in our yard like that's hard work i'm a little stiff and sore this morning and here's the thing about weeding is that guess what i'm gonna have to do next week i have to do it all over again because guess what the weeds keep coming back and i keep fighting against them it's a good work the garden looks a whole lot better today than it did yesterday but it's a hard work Yet, there's also good news in verse 21. Because look at how verse 21 finishes it out. It says this, the second thing that we are to do is to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's the real power to remove rampant wickedness and filthiness, is to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, when we talk about the implanted word, here's what I want you. When I'm, every time we talk about it, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the scriptures. We're talking about the Bible, which is God-breathed out words. It's literally his words that have been spoken to us. And the words of the Bible, the words that God has spoken to us are all about Jesus. All about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. That he has come to bring salvation to us. That he has come to save our souls. Jesus himself is called the word in John chapter 1. And Jesus is the power of the word. Jesus is the power to work in you through his word. So when we talk about the word, the implanted word, when we talk about the word of God, I want you to be thinking about all these things that Jesus is the one working in you. So the first thing that we are told to do is that we are told to receive it. It says that we are to receive the implanted word. That means that we are to take it in, that we need to accept it, that it is a part of our lives and it is a part of who we are. It's in our DNA. We receive it, we submit to it, we follow it, we obey it. There is great power in God's word for us. And I want us to be encouraged this morning, 
that there is power in the word to fight against your sin. And I can't stress this enough, that there is more power in God's word for you than there is the rampant wickedness that is all around you. The word of God is not an option in the lives of the believer. But there's a condition by which we are to receive the word. Notice what it says, that we receive the word with meekness, which literally means a gentle spirit. I want you to notice what James is doing here in this passage. He's subtly making a contrast between pride and meekness. Pride is typified by a person who is quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to listen. Pride speaks quickly and says, you know what, I don't need to listen because I'm right in what I have to say and I need to be heard. And pride and anger says I'm justified to do the things that I'm doing. Pride is the root issue here of all of these things that James is talking about. And the antidote to uproot that pride in our heart is to receive the word of God with meekness. To receive the word with humility. A meekness and a humility that comes to the word in order to be quick to listen and slow to speak. A humility and a meekness that confesses, I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out. And I need help. So I'm going to meekly and humbly come to the word and acknowledge that God's word knows it all. And God's word has it all figured out. So I'm going to come and I'm going to listen to the word. And I'm going to let it speak to me. And I'm going to be quiet. It's a meekness that says, I'm, I'm in desperate need of this word. And I need to hear this word daily. But notice what else James says about the word of God here. It says that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now that's an interesting word, but I think it's important for us to see, uh, thinking about what does it mean that the word has been implanted in us. I believe that this is a gospel partnership that is taking place within us. The gospel partnership is this. It is the Lord who has implanted the word into our hearts. And then we are to receive that word that has been implanted. See, we can only receive, the only way that we can receive the word is that God is the one that has implanted the word in us first. And then that as God does the work of implanting the word, that we do the work and we come and receive that word. And that's the gospel partnership that's taking place. That God works and then we work. God initiates, implanted, it's past tense, it means it's already been done. So it's been done because God did it, and then we come and receive what he has done. That's a gospel partnership. And we want the word of God to dig down deep. We want it to be implanted in our hearts because we want the word to change our hearts. The word has the power to change our hearts, to curb our anger, to tame our tongues, and to open up our ears to listen. Not only that, James says that the power of the implanted word has the ability to save your souls because the words of Jesus bring light and life to all who believe. 
just as the angry man does not produce the righteousness that pleases God, so the implanted word of God is able to do this God-pleasing work in saving your soul. And if the word of God has the power to save your soul, then it also has the power to change your heart and to change your life. The best thing that you can replace your anger with is to receive with meekness the implanted word of God. To receive with meekness the implanted word of God means that you see the high value of the word. Now here's the thing this morning. I'm going to talk about the word again. And I've noticed that there's a pattern in my sermons when I preach is that I usually conclude and I start coming to the end and I talk about our daily need for the word. But yet, I don't know what else to tell you to do. Because this is what Scripture tells us to do. And so I know I run the risk of sounding like a broken record. But the reality is this. We need to be a people who are daily dependent upon the Word. We need to have the Word of God dig deep into our hearts. And that means it takes a high priority in our lives. I mean, my question for you this morning would be, what was, your, uh, what was your Bible reading like in this past week? What did it look like for you? I'll tell you this. I can struggle with being consistent with my Bible reading. But I'll tell you this. Do you want to know the times that I've been most consistent in the last couple of years of my Bible reading? So one of my boys swims uh, on the high school team. And so he, from basically November to March, um, I'm up at 5 in the morning because I got to get in the swim practice at 5.30. And then I come home and I got an hour, hour and a half to wait before I go pick him up. Well, I'm already awake at this point. So guess what I do every morning? I read my Bible consistently. Like that is the most consistent season of my life of reading the Word is during swim season. And then what happens is after swim season is over, I get inconsistent again. And so... This spring, the Lord just really convicted me and said, Jim, why don't you just get up with me, even when it's not swim season? Because there's not a whole lot to compete with my time at 5.30 in the morning, except sleep. And I said, okay, God, let's do this. Let's do this. And so one of the things that I am finding is that I need to receive the implanted word daily in my life. That I needed to make an intentional plan. That if I don't make an intentional plan to come to the word daily, guess what happens? My day gets away from me. I get busy. I get caught up with things and distractions, and then it never happens. And here's the thing. I need to take the time to come to the word daily because, as James says, there's rampant wickedness that is always coming after me. And it doesn't take a day off. It doesn't. It keeps coming after me. So I have to keep coming to the word. Because that's my best line of defense against rampant wickedness. To reserve the word with meekness means that you don't skim the word or do the surface level reading of the word. What we need to do is we need to avoid shallow, superficial scanning of the word. I can fall prey to that. Like, okay, I've read this before. I've read this 20 times before. But guess what? I'm going to need it 20 more times. And then 20 more times after that. I never graduate from my need of the word. 
I think I've shared this before, that, that George Mueller, in the last 20 years of his life, read the Bible 100 times. It took him 40 years to read it 100 times. His first 40. He sped up his Bible reading as he got older. Don't get to the point that you think that I've read the Bible enough that I don't need to read the Bible anymore. This is not a box checking, going through the motions, reading of the word. No, instead, this is a slow down reading of the word. Take your time with the word. Pray while reading the word. Pray that the Lord would do the work that the word says in your heart. When you pray as you're reading the word, it's a humble, meek recognition that you can't change yourself, but that the word of God has power to do the work that you cannot do on your own. To be humble enough to allow the word to convict you of your sin, to allow the word to convict you of your anger, to allow the word to convict you of the filthiness and the wickedness, and that it leads you to repentance. That you come to the word to be really honest and be really vulnerable to what the word has to say and what it may expose in your life. It's to meditate on the word, to think deeply about what you've just read. But as you're reading the word, that you're journaling your thoughts about the word as you read, that you're thinking about how can this word be applied to my life this week? How can this word be applied to a situation that I'm struggling with or a trial that I'm dealing with right now? It's even revisiting that you, the word that you read the day before in order to reinforce that word in your heart. Remember, this is not a race. So slow down and take your time with the word. That you can memorize the word uh, so that you can carry a scripture with you throughout the day. Reminding yourself of the word when, when, when a trial comes up or a disappointment comes your way. That you are preaching the word to yourself. Fighting against the other things that are coming at you. It's trusting in the word. It's trusting in the word. To be quick to listen to it. And let it speak to you. And it's also trusting in the word of God. More than your own words. And your own ideas. Which will lead you to be slow to speak. We need the words from God and his word more than we need words from our own brain and our own ideas. It all comes back to the word, right? I mean, what does scripture say about the word? It says it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is breathed out by God. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's come to the word, and let's be people of the word. Let's be trademarked. Let's be known as people of the word, and let's let the word do its work in us. Let's let the word do the work in us so that we will be people who are quick to hear, and that we would be people who would be slow to speak. Let the word do the work in us of ridding us of our anger and our filthiness and our rampant wickedness. What a great, powerful life-saving work that the word does for us praise god for his word that saves our souls so here's what i want us to do this morning 
couple times a month, we take the time to stop and pray. And what I would like you to do this morning is pray this scripture. I talked about that in this passage this morning. And so this is what I want us to do. Take the time to make James 1, 19 through 21 your prayer. There are plenty of things to pray for in this passage for ourselves and for our lives. So whether you pray with your family that you came with this morning or you pray by yourself, whether you journal, you pray silently or pray out loud, let's take the time to pray that this word will do a work in our hearts and in our lives. So we're going to take a few moments that we're going to pray and then after a season I will, I will uh, conclude our time of prayer by praying. So let's pray now.
Father God, we thank you for this passage this morning. It's a hard passage. And yet it's a passage that I need. And yet it's a passage that the church needs. So God, I pray that you would help us with meekness to receive the implanted word. I pray that we would be a people that love your word and love coming to your word and come to your word every day. That any sacrifice is worth coming to your word. And God, I pray that your word would do a steady work in us. That as we come day by day, that day by day you would be working. That you would help us be quick, people who are uh, quick to hear. We'd be able to flow to speak and even slower to anger. Pray that you would help us fight against filthiness and rampant wickedness that wants to sprout up in our hearts. Lord, I'm thankful that your word is powerful enough to work in all of these areas and, and more. There's nothing that your word cannot do. So I pray that you would be doing this good, godly work in our hearts. Thank you for your word. What a treasure, what a gift. We pray this in your name. Amen. I have a couple of quick announcements before I let you go this morning. One is I want you to know, and I will take blame on this. I didn't do a good job of promoting this, that we are doing a men's study this summer. We just started this past Wednesday. We're reading this book called uh, The Men We Need. It's just about godly manhood, and if you were not able to join us last Wednesday, that's okay. We just basically handed out the book and went over the intro, so you're not behind. And so um, after the service, I'm going to be at the welcome desk. I have extra copies of the book in a, in a reading order uh, that I can give you, and we would love to have you come and join us on Wednesday nights as we go through this. The women have theirs on Tuesday. We have ours on Wednesday. We would love to have you come and join us. Second thing I want you to let you know is this is the second uh, Sunday of the month, which means this is a benevolent Sunday. So what you'll find in the foyer as you leave this morning is there's a, a basket on a stool, and that offering just goes to people in our church who may be in need, who've got a financial need, who are struggling, and that's what that's there for. So if you want to give to that, you can put it in that basket out there. And if you have a need, come and speak to us. We would love to be able to help. That's what it's there for. We want to be able to help people who are in need, and that is there for those. All right, I'm going to read our benediction this morning. I am going to read from Jude, uh, chapter, oh, there's only one chapter, but verses 24 and 25. If you could stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. You are dismissed.